Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Our news has been filled with the presidential election and Congress and the direction that our nation is trying to find. This has been a very unusual year with the COVID-19, with the rioting in the streets, the hurricanes, the economics, the election. 2020 will be remembered as a challenging year, but it'll also be remembered as the year of heroes. Rather, it's the firefighters out west fighting the fires or the first responders up and down the Gulf Coast helping people to evacuate and then to come back and rebuild after the hurricanes. Rather, it was the police officers in our streets across our nation that were dealing with the violent protest as our cities were burning. Rather, it was the, the healthcare workers, the health professionals that on the front lines of the pandemic, trying to care for those that can't care for themselves, putting themselves and their family's health at risk. This will be a year remembered as a year of heroes. And so this morning, as we're looking at this election, we need to pause for just a moment and think about what happens after the election. The headlines have been filled with a question, and that is what will happen after November 3rd? Let me just share a couple of things with you that's been said. The country has lost its mind. Poe's warning of civil war, USA Today. Why November, November the 4th, 2020 could be a very bad day, CNN politics. But here's the one that caught my attention because it's outside the United States. It comes from Global News and it asks the question, what will happen in the United States after the election? One in three voters believe the United States is on the brink of another civil war. 40% of Republicans believe it, 28% of Democrats, and 38% of independents. The question was asked, will November 3rd in the presidential election prove to be a watershed moment for such a development? This is what they said in Global News. We should all pray that it's not. Went on to speak. The great fear, though, is that talk of impending post-electoral violence when combined with the backdrop of national unrest already experienced in metropolitan areas in this calendar year may prove to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Global news. We should all pray that it's not. This civil unrest. We should all pray that it's not, that it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy. Luke chapter 19 verse 41 tells us that as Jesus drew near Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. He drew near and he saw the city and he began to weep. This morning, I want to challenge everyone on this campus and those watching online. I want to ask you for just a brief moment, could you draw near? Could you come near? Could you come near to his presence? Could you come near to the moment? 
Could we for just a moment lay aside all the distractions and turn down all the noise and just for a moment could we draw near and could we for just a moment lay aside partisan politics, Democrat, Republican, Independent, could we just lay it aside for just a moment? For just a moment, could we be the ecclesia? Could we be God's people, sons and daughters of God? For just a moment, could we? Could we look beyond the politics? Could we look beyond the politics? And if we do, like Jesus did, perhaps we too will see our nation. We will weep. And just perhaps today, God could awaken what I will call patriotic weepers in the house. This is important. It's important to me, and I know it's important to you, because of Psalms chapter 126 and verse 6. He told us, he who continually, it has to go beyond just November 3rd, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Weeping over your seed will produce a harvest. Perhaps our tears in Beaumont could be the seeds or could be the water, could be the moment that waters the seeds for revival in America. Think of this. Seeds, my weeping as I sow, could bring forth a harvest, perhaps a revival. Pray with me. Father, bless the reading of your word. Speak to us today. Stir our hearts on campus, online, to those that are listening to us, perhaps around the world. Stir every heart. Challenge us and awaken the weepers, the patriotic weepers, those that would weep and intercede for our nation. Awaken them. We pray this in Christ's name and everyone said amen. Real quickly, as you're getting ready to vote, if you haven't voted yet, let me just remind you of a few things, and that is winning the battle and yet still losing the war. Word to voters. Number one, we will continue to work as two parties after the election, after Tuesday. We will continue to work as two parties, but stand as one nation. We have to remember that. Our founding fathers intended for partisan politics to ensure that the voice of opposition is heard without destroying the unity of our nation. A full-throated debate is good and right, and it should happen, and partisan politics is good. It makes sure that both sides are heard. But we have to remember what they intended. They intended that after the debate, we come together for the common good of all people and not tear our nation apart. Number two, to the losing party, I would say, in the coming weeks, months, and years, this is not a time to despair, but a time to find common ground. A hallmark of the American dream is the peaceful transfer of power, and the world is watching, as we mentioned just a moment ago. Number three, to the winning party, I would say, this is not a time to gloat, but a time to reach out and offer inclusiveness 
God, give us leaders that can cross the aisle and that will come together for the common good. Take the stimulus package off the political table and quit using it to hurt one another and get something done for the average American that's out there trying to pay their bills. Do the right thing. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, do the right thing. This is not a time for losers to be punished, but for winners to be gracious. That's what has to happen in the coming months. To work together for this nation to see things happen. Jesus prayed this for us. You say, well, what does God think? Well, look at Jesus prayed for us. He prayed in John 17 that they may be one as we are one. We must find a way to win and lose the battle of politics without forfeiting the war of our relationships. We must find a way to win and lose the battle of politics without forfeiting this war, this contending for our relationships. Listen, politics, government, business, religion is not easy. You've got to want it. You've got to fight hard for it. You've got to step up. You've got to be able to debate and disagree and then move on and build the relationship for the good of people. If you're expecting to be in agreement with everyone on every point, you're always going to walk alone. The fact is you can agree to disagree without seeing eye to eye. You can walk along with someone and agree to disagree without seeing eye to eye. It's okay to disagree on certain things. Now, other things, those core values that are important to me, I will not compromise. There are certain things that I will not surrender. As in religion, there are certain things that I won't give up. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the infallible, inspired word of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Certain things I won't give up. In politics, there are other things that I won't give up. I will not support the abortion of a baby. I will not do it. There are certain things that we can't compromise. I still believe that marriage as ordained by God is between one man and one woman. That doesn't mean that I hate anyone. I speak the truth regarding sin to sinners so sinners can go free. Love will always tell the truth. And it will do it in love. It will do it in love. So we have to understand that we have to come together as a nation. We can walk side by side. Democrat, Republican, Independent. We can walk side by side without seeing eye to eye. We have to understand that relationships have to be fought for. You, you have to fight for things. It's easy to get angry, to disagree and get angry and then to attack one another and demonize people and then nothing happens. But we have to keep coming back to the table. We have to keep coming back to the debate. We have to keep coming back and working together for the common good. That's the order of the day. That's what God is calling this nation back to. Statesmen, men and women that will step up and do what's hard, say what's hard and give leadership to a nation. That's what's required now. And it starts in the church. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 through 4. Paul talking to the church at Corinth. That was in chaos. He said, you guys have got problems. I would talk to you as mature, but I can't. 
He said, one says, I follow Paulus, and one says, I follow Paul. There's division within the church. And he says, this is ripping you apart, and you need to mature, and you need to grow up. You see, we have to seek to understand people before we expect to be understood. We have to understand their pain, their perspective, before I could ever expect them to understand me. As we talk to people and we deal with people, listen, the line is being drawn hard, deep, and wide in this nation. And someone has to cross that line and try to understand before they're understood. We have to try, and the church needs to take the lead on this. Jesus said, let them be one. Number two, may we use our passion to build our nation and not tear it down. You have to use your passion. I will stand center stage and with all the passion that I have, I will preach the gospel. I will declare my values and my principles. I will do it to the, to the, uh, uh, to, to the, the highest, uh, uh, my, what, what word am I looking for? I'll do it as loudly as I can. I will raise my voice to the rooftop and I will declare those things that I believe in. But I must respect others that do the same. And I have to use my passion to build and not to tear down. Stand, stand on the corner and protest. That's a hallmark of this great nation. To peacefully protest, to declare what you believe in and what you don't. But you don't have a right to burn it down, to tear it down, to attack people with violence and do harm to others that would dare to have the audacity to disagree with you. You don't have a right to do that. Use our passion to to build it and not tear it down. Number three, may we follow men, but let us serve God because our hope is in Christ. We have to be reminded of that from time to time. That I am first and foremost a Christian, and then I'm an American. I am first and foremost a Christian, then I'm a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent. I am first a Christian, and that supersedes all things. We have to remember that, that we are citizens of another world. Now, do I appreciate America with everything that's within me? But first and foremost, I am a Christian. And we have to remember that. So we have to remember that we follow God. In the early church, they had this problem. Well, I'm following Apollos. Well, I'm following Paul. Paul said, remember, you follow Christ. And we have to be careful that we don't put any political party ahead of the kingdom of God. We have to remember that. We follow him first and foremost. And taking a righteous stand, and everybody said amen. amen. Let us not lose our righteousness. And taking a righteous stand, let us not lose our righteousness and demonizing people that disagree with us. We have to stand for what we believe in and fight for it and, yes, even die for it. But in taking a righteous stand, let us not lose our righteousness. Winning the battle but losing the war. We have to be careful. But let me talk to you about what's happening in our nation right now. We have to, as Jesus did, draw near to our nation. We have to see the cities. And then we should weep because there is something that's beyond, beyond the politics right now. There is something beyond 
what you see on the news. And that's the, the advantage that Christians have because we have an eternal perspective. We look through a different lens. We see things differently. Thessalonians and talking of eschatology, end time events, which we all believe that we're in right now. The days of sorrow as described in Matthew 24. In Thessalonians, he speaks about the last days and a spirit of lawlessness that will be at work. If you think the problem right now is with the Republicans, the Democrats, or the, the independents, you're wrong. There's something beyond all of that. There's a spirit of lawlessness that's driving people. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with principalities. We wrestle with world rulers that are over nations and governments. We wrestle with spiritual hosts, wickedness and high places. There's something more to this than just politics. There's a spirit of lawlessness, a spirit that's at work. And I want to identify just one of the demonic angels that are at work. Because Ephesians 6 spoke about principalities and powers and rulers, this hierarchical system within the kingdom or the kingdom of darkness, the structure. And there is one that's called Abaddon, the angel of destruction. Abaddon is found in Revelation chapter 9. But before we go there, let me just remind you of Jude chapter 1 and verse 9. He said, even the archangel... Michael, in God's kingdom, there's a structure. Archangel, when he was disputing with the devil over the body of Moses, dared not insult or slander him, but simply said, the Lord Yahweh rebuke you. Even Michael, the archangel, knew better than to try to pick a fight with the devil. So lest I get you all ramped up and you want to go out there and take on principalities and you want to go out there and pick a fight, with a baton, just cool your jets. Be careful. Be careful or you'll end up like the sons of Sceva and you'll get your clothes ripped off, ripped off. you'll get your, your nose bloodied and you'll get kicked out. Be careful. You don't just go pick a fight with anything. You gotta use wisdom. But with that said, Revelation chapter nine, verse 11, and they had a king over them, the locust that was being released the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Now, Abaddon in Hebrew means destruction. Apollyon in Greek means destroyer. So I want you to understand that as there is the archangel Michael on the other side of that fence, there are, there are angels that war in the heavenlies. And Abaddon is seeking and you need to know this, behind all that you see unfolding on the news, Abaddon is seeking to destroy the idea of a more perfect union. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That's what he's after. He's not just after the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Independents. He is after this idea that our founding fathers had to come together to form a more perfect union. One nation under God that brings justice, liberty for all people. That's what he's after. He doesn't want this pulpit and others to preach the gospel. He doesn't want this nation to bring justice 
and liberty for all around the world. He doesn't want us to deal with social injustice, to right what's wrong, to help those that can't help themselves, to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves, to stand up and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he is after. He wants to shut this nation down. He wants to stop it. He doesn't want this idea of a more perfect union to reach its climax. He doesn't want this great experiment of the American dream to come to pass. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to bring prosperity to the poor. He doesn't want us to bring health to the sick. He doesn't want us to bring, to bring justice where there is injustice. He doesn't want us to do it. He's fighting He's doing everything within his power to tear this nation down. I believe that. As he would destroy Israel, I believe he would destroy America. Because America, America is like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. America brings hope. America still believes one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And Abaddon, Apollyon, would do everything in his power to destroy that. So how do we deal with this angel? We could talk about spiritual warfare, authority as sons of God, power of Holy Spirit, declaring the word, intercessory prayer. But those things we're not going to get into today. There's only two thoughts that I want to give to you. One is submission to God. And the second one is the repair of the breach. So number one, how do we deal with this angel that's ripping our nation apart? We humbly submit ourselves to God's will and we withstand the enemy's temptation that causes him to flee. He said, wow, where you get that from? James chapter four, verse seven. Therefore submit to God and his will, resist the temptation The temptation. The temptation to attack one another. The temptation. Resist the devil. And he flees because he doesn't know how to handle that. Your greatest position of strength is humility and submission to God, a position the enemy cannot conquer. You see, when he provokes you to hate, your best response is to love. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. When Abaddon, Apollyon, tempts me to hate people because they disagree with me. Because they fall on the other side of an issue that I'm willing to die for. Something that I believe is morally right. Things that I would live and, and die for. When people disagree with me. Abaddon, Apollyon, this angel that comes to bring destruction, he would tempt me to hate. And when he does, the way that I deal with him is to respond by loving. Disagreeing, absolutely. Standing my ground, absolutely. But loving where there's hate. And that's how we deal with that spirit, that lawlessness that's in our nation. To live and die for what we believe in. To stand up and speak loudly 
and to, and to defend the truth, but yet to answer hate with love. That's how you deal with him, by submitting to God, by submitting to God and God's will, by taking the word of God and understanding what God would have me to do, to follow the example of Jesus Christ. As they crucified him, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's how we deal with that spirit of lawlessness. I'm not talking about being passive. I'm talking about standing up for what we believe in, but never allowing hate to fill our hearts. That's how you cause the enemy to flee because he doesn't understand it and he doesn't know how to conquer it. Number two, we take back our streets if we are willing to wall off the hatred. We can take back our streets if we're willing to wall off the hatred. Look at Isaiah 58, 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. Now, Isaiah 58 is talking about fasting and healing the nation. And he says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Wow. The word repair there in the Hebrew means to wall around where there's a breach, a gap, a break where there's a hole in the wall, where there's a problem, a breach, a breakdown, to wall it off. The word breach in our dictionary means to break covenant, contract, breaking relationship, a broken state. And there is a breach in our nation right now. There's a breach in our nation. There's a breach even in our churches. A breach this year. A breach there's a gap. There's a breaking of covenant relationship, a breaking of a contract because of the pandemic, because of other issues. There's a breach. People, people are choosing sides on issues and it's causing a great division. And there's a breach. But here in Isaiah 58, people that are willing to fast, or let's put it this way, to lay down their lives for the sake of others, they become the ones that are the repairer of the breach. They wall it off. They wall it off. They put a wall around it. They come together. They come together. And they surround hatred with love. They surround racism with love. They surround violence with love. Not condoning it, but just simply speaking the truth in love, but walling off the hatred. We come together. Isaiah 58, verse 1, he started out by saying, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare it. And he says, when you do this, when you do this, when you see the violence in the streets, the violent protesting, the violent protesting, not peaceful protesting, violent protesting that cannot be defended, when you see that, instead of hating when we go out into the streets and we try to understand the pain and the journey they've been on before we judge, when we just try to understand, when we try to reach out a hand to try to understand before we ask to be understood, when we just try to reach out to people, 
when we learn to listen before we speak, when we try to understand a man's journey and the pain that he carries that's brought him to where he is, it may not justify his action, but it would help me to understand where he's been and what he's been through and why he is so angry. When we do that, when we respond in love, we make all the difference in the world. And we wall off the hatred. We wall it off. We, we become the repairer of the breach. We wall it off with love. He said, when you do this, he said, lift up your voice, spare not, be a trumpet. And he said, when you do this, you're, you're going to loosen the bonds of wickedness. You're going to undo heavy burdens. You're going to let the oppressed go free. You're going to divide your bread to the hungry. You're going to bring the homeless poor into your houses. You're going to cover the naked. And you're not going to hide yourself from your own family. Whenever you respond in love, whenever you wall off the hatred, you wall off. When we, as brethren, we come together and we join hands around someone that's hurting. And we say to them, we want to understand. We want you to know that we care about you and we love you and we want to help you. When we respond to hatred with love, when we respond to violence with peace, when we respond the way Jesus responded, we're walling it off. We wall, we, we wall it off and we bring hope. That's what Jesus did. There comes a time, I understand, when action must be taken, but let us first respond in love. Let us reach out. That's what the church should do. You see, how do we overcome a baton in America? He said here in Isaiah 58, he spoke about bonds of wickedness. He said, when we lay down our lives for others, when we are willing to deny ourselves for the sake of others, he said, the bonds of wickedness, the bonds of wickedness are broken. So this is how we overcome him. The bonds of wickedness, when he ties them up, we set them free. When he overloads them with a heavy burden, then we give them a helping hand. When they're oppressed and he knocks them down, then we pick them up. That's what a repair of the breach does. A repair of the breach is one who surrounds broken relationships and broken lives with the law of God's love. That's what we do. I don't condone their action, but I respond to them in love. I don't condone violence and hatred, racism, but I respond in love. That's what a repairer of the breach does. That's what we have to do. No matter how many times he knocks it down, no matter how many times he knocks them down, no, minute, no matter how many times he knocks this nation down to its needs, we will keep building it back up. That's what the church does. You burn it down, we'll build it back up. You hate and we'll keep loving. That's what we do. You tie them up, we'll set them free. You knock it down, we'll build it up. You overload them, we'll give them a helping hand. You fill them with hopelessness, we'll declare hope. That's the repair of the breach. That's who we are. 
That's what we do. That's the answer for America. It is. So how do we respond? And is God ready? Is God ready? In the video that I showed you, the statement was made in there. Sometimes God is hard to find. And I almost didn't play it because of that statement. I don't agree with that. But then I realized that's a true statement for many people in America. It's not for me, but for them it is. They're struggling to find him. Where is God right now? Why is God allowing the pandemic, the fires, the rioting, the hurricanes, the divisiveness in our politics? Why is God allowing this? Right now, people are searching for an answer and they're searching for God. And we know where he is and we know what the answer is. You see, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, and my people, somebody say my people, my people. Somebody say that's me. Ooh. Let's say that again. That's me. You're responsible for this nation. I'm responsible for this nation. You don't like, the, you don't like what's happening in our streets? Then you and I need to change it. You know why we lost prayer in our schools? It's because we quit praying in our homes. You see, we're really good about cursing the darkness, but so few people are willing to light a candle. How many agrees on campus and online that our nation has got to get going in the right direction? Then vote Tuesday. And if you don't vote, you can't gripe. 120,000 people in Beaumont, Texas in the last election, only 12,000 people voted. Before that, it was 10,000. Years before that, they averaged around 10,000. I'd like to think that we had an impact on that because we pushed hard through our campaign to vote four times. Won't explain that one, but also to get out and vote. I pushed it as hard as I could, and we saw an uptick to about 12,000 people. I hope this next time we'll see another uptick. But if you don't vote, you can't gripe. Take it just as it is. But you got to vote. you got to get involved. If we don't like the way things are, then let us roll up our sleeves and let us make a difference. If you don't like the way your church is, volunteer. Oh, Jesus. You think something broke, then fix it. Fix it. He said, my people, they will respond by humbling themselves, praying, seeking my presence, turning their backs on wickedness, on wicked lives, on wicked living. He said, I'll be there ready for you. I'll listen, forgive, and restore and heal the land. So it talks about our response and God's readiness. How many believe that God's ready to heal America? He's waiting on our response. God's ready. How many believe that God's ready to bring revival to America? He's waiting on me to be a personal revival. He's waiting on you. How many believe that God's ready to deal with racism in America and to rip out the heart, rip out of the heart of this nation, nation hatred? Well, then that begins by me dealing with the racism in my heart. That's where it begins. 
And I don't care if you're black, white, or brown. We all have to examine our hearts and see where we are in the faith. God is, is waiting for his people to respond. He's ready. So our spiritual response to a national crisis, identificational repentance, and the restoration of divine favor. To get on my knee and say, God, forgive us. How many babies now? 60 million? On abortion? Is it 60? God, forgive us. Although I've never had an abortion. To get on my knees and say, Father, forgive us for the racism in our nation, although I'm not a racist. To get on my knees and say, Father, forgive us for the hatred. Although I search my heart and I find no hatred. That's my responsibility as a Christian, as a man of God, to repent for the sins of my nation. To say, Father, forgive us for same-sex marriage, even though I'm not a homosexual. To repent and to ask God to restore divine favor. Yeah, that's what we do as Christians. That's how we heal our nation. To turn our back on, on personal and nat national hatred. To turn our back on it. To turn our back on a baton and a polyon. To turn our backs on the temptation. And he flees because he doesn't know how to handle that. God said, I'll be there ready to forgive and restore your land. 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Sorrow there in the Greek means sadness, grief, heaviness. Repentance means the abhorrence for past sin to change one's mind, a reversal. You see, a grieving over our national condition can lead us out of this present crisis. It can lead us out. This is a crisis. But as I've told you before, that there's a power in crisis. There's a power. And that is, a crisis is a tipping point for transformation. When you're confronted with a crisis, you have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. And so right now, this is a tipping point for transformation. It is the opportunity to free yourself from that which is familiar and to push yourself into a new personal growth. To say, I'm not going to support this. I'm not going to support that. I'm not going to support this. I'm going to search my heart. I'm going to examine myself to see if I'd be in the faith. Where am I at? In all these national issues, where am I at? What do I think 
about the pandemic and what's happening? What do I think about the rioting in the streets? What do I think about the hurricanes and the election and what's happening with the economy? And what do I think and what can I do to bring about positive change? What do I think about my community and my city and what's wrong with it, where it's broken? What do I think about the sex trafficking on 11th Street and the homelessness and, and the drug addiction and the drug sales and the poverty and the racism and the hatred? What do I think about my city? And what can I do to become a change agent in that moment? The power of a crisis. The power of a crisis that says, I don't like what's happening to my nation. So I'm going to go into the voting booth and I'm going to pull the lever and I'm going to vote. I'm going to get involved in my community. I'm going to get involved in the mountain of government or business or education or the arts, business. I'm going to start changing things. I'm going to work it from the inside out. Instead of cursing the darkness, I'll become a light to the world. And I'll step up and I'll speak up and I'll speak truth, but I'll do it in love. And I'll turn my back on hatred. I'll live and die for what I believe in, but I'll never allow hatred to fill my heart. We have to understand this is how we deal with it. Within crisis lies the opportunity for change, not only in the community, but in my heart. Stephen, come help me. We understand that we have to be careful that we don't just win the battle and then lose the war. Be careful when you take a righteous position that you don't lose your righteousness. We have to understand that there is a spirit, an angel, a concerted effort, calculated, strategic plan coming out of the spirit of lawlessness. And his angels are at work, Abaddon, Apollyon. He's at work. His name means destruction, and he is a destroyer. And so our cities start to burn. Lives are taken in the streets. Rioting in Washington, D.C., all because one side or the other doesn't like the way the election went. The world, whether we believe it or not, you say, well, they're exaggerating. They probably are, but it doesn't matter. It's in their heart. They think that there's a possibility that after November 3rd, this nation may be set on fire. That's in their hearts. My point is, people are scared. And where is the church? Let us step up and bring hope. Let us step up. Today, we're Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Tomorrow and on Tuesday. But come Wednesday morning, November the 4th, we're now Americans. And we have to come together. Am I going to give up or compromise my values and my beliefs? Absolutely not. But we have to come together on Wednesday as Americans, and we will not tolerate burning these, our cities down. We will not tolerate violence in our streets. We will not tolerate tearing down the very thing that we're trying to build. The ideal of a more perfect union. Our founding fathers understood this great American experiment. When they 
Those three documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the, the, the amendments, these things that we hold so dear, Do we still believe in the First Amendment? Do we still believe in the freedom of religion and serving God? The Second Amendment, to bear arms. The Fourth Amendment, the rights of the individual. That they can't bust down your door without a warrant. Do we still believe in the 13th and the 14th Amendment, the right to vote? Do we still believe? Do we still believe? These things that we hold so dear that we're willing to live and die for. The church has to step up. I believe that God wants to use America. I believe that. And our founding fathers believed it. And they believed that this great American experiment was not a completed work when they signed that Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, or they voted on those amendments. They did not believe, well, it's finished, it's done, it's over. They didn't believe that. They said in order to form, to shape, to work at, to build a more perfect union, it's an ideal. It's an ideal that we're working on. It's an ideal. We can't tear down the very ideal that we're trying to build up. After Tuesday, if the election doesn't go the way that I hope it goes, I'll be greatly disappointed. And I'll have a moment when I will grieve. But then I will get up, shake myself, roll up my sleeves and go to work and do what I can do to form a more perfect union. That's what we do. And that's how we do it. There is an angel that's trying to destroy us. And my third point is God is ready. He's only awaiting our response. And our response is, if my people will humble themselves and pray, if they will turn their back on hatred and wickedness, turn their back, I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I believe that there's still hope. I believe in America. I believe in the gospel. I believe. And I challenge you, don't give up on the farming of a more perfect union. We're still one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty for every drug addict, for liberty 
for every homosexual, every adulterer, every fornicator, liberty for every man or woman that's in the chains and the bonds of wickedness, liberty and justice wherever you find injustice. Whether they're black, white, or brown, male or female, Republican or Democrat, wherever there's injustice, we fight to make it right. So we as a church say to Abaddon and Apollyon, you tear it down, we'll bid it back. You overload them, we'll give them a helping hand. And you tie them up and we'll set them free. And we're not going away and we won't quit. We'll speak for those that can't speak for themselves. We'll help those that can't help themselves. We'll hold people to personal responsibility. But yet we'll help a brother get a pair of boots first so he can pick himself up by his bootstraps. We're going to reach out to help those that can't help themselves and then hold them to personal responsibility. We're going to stand up and declare freedom across this nation and around the world. And we will stand in the face of opposition and the spirit of lawlessness and declare whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And everybody said amen. Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.